Father, that's why we're here, to just drink in your presence, to uh, just worship and adore you and to thank you for everything you accomplished for us, things that we just cannot and could not do on our own, but out of your incredible love that you would do for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to come into our lives, to come into our world, to lay aside everything, to give up his life so that we can live not just live in this day and this time, that we can live in the promises and that we know a day will come when the trumpet sounds and we'll join all the saints who have ever been in the kingdom of heaven forever. Father, we thank you for the promise spoken over our lives. Be with us now. Just uh, help us to cling to those promises in every situation and circumstance. We pray it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go and have a seat this morning. I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of purgatory. Next question. Is it possible to contact the dead? I'm not at liberty to discuss that possibility at this time. I will say that we do not recommend it. I'm not prepared to make any statements on that subject at this time. How many ways are there to get to heaven? One. Next question, let's go with Alex. Mr. Death, is there sex in heaven? No comment. I'm afraid that's all the time I have. Thank you very much. Okay, it's questions day. Raise your questions. So we've been in a series talking about, uh, so you're dead, now what? Remember, we talked the first time about reality of hell. Talked last week about the reality of heaven. And today, we're going to try to answer your questions. Now, uh, as we do that, let me just give you two disclaimers. You ready? Number one is, uh, while on the sheet, on the handout, I uh, answered all the questions that were turned into me. At least I grouped them kind of in, in groups of similarity of questions, okay? So on the handout, I answered all of them that, that uh, came into me. But unless you are uh, ready to stick around for a while, uh, we're probably not going to get to all of them uh, this morning. So if I don't get to yours, that's okay. You can just uh, you know, catch me in the atrium or email or whatever, or just study what's on the, on the handout. Okay? But we're going to plow through as fast as we can to get through as, as many as we can. Okay? Second thing is, remember the disclaimer we gave you last week, right? That what we're talking about are things that we see in a mirror dimly, right? That we, we just don't completely, fully understand. It's just not there for us yet. The day will come when we'll get it all, when we are, uh, you know, we'll know fully, even as we're fully known, but we're just not there yet. So the things I share with you today uh, are things that, you know, based on what Scripture says, look, this is the way it seems as we look in this mirror uh, dimly. So let's get at it right away so we get as far as we can. A lot of you, number one question that I got was uh, related to this issue here, because you heard me uh, share with you last week about the reality of heaven and the resurrection of the dead, the physical resurrection of our bodies. And so a lot of you got the gears working and you said, well, okay, so Jesus is going to come back and the tombs are going to open up and our bodies are going to be raised to be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. But so what happens when I die? Because when I die, I die here and the resurrection doesn't happen till here. And so what about this in between time? Right. Good question. A lot of you shared that one. Okay. 
Now, when we get to this question, and we'll spend a lot of time on this one, it was the most asked one, so we'll spend most of our time here, but uh, when we get to this question, uh, this is one of those Sidomir Dimly uh, answers, right? Because uh, really, there are two main teachings out there uh, when it comes to the answer to this question. There is a third teaching out there that is what culture tells you. And all I can tell you is culture's wrong, as usual. Uh, but there are two kind of biblically oriented teachings that go along with this. The first one is captured here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay? And it's the Apostle Paul writing, and Paul says, Now also we would have you, uh, not have you ignorant, brethren, about those who do what? Who fall asleep. Now, you notice the, the, the footnote there, G, and then it says death, right? If you'd follow the footnote, footnote down, Paul, in his writings, most of the time, almost always, whenever Paul makes a reference to a saint who has died, he can never associate that saint with the word death. And so he will always describe saints as those who have fallen asleep in Christ. The Greek is en Christo, fallen asleep in Christ. Because he just can't bring himself to say that saints die. Why can't he do that? Well, because he knows, as we do, Jesus has already conquered death. And if Jesus has already conquered death, then if you are a follower of Christ and you're a believer in Christ, you will never Die, right? And so Paul just knows that truth. And because he knows that truth, he says, listen, saints just can't die. That just can't happen to us because we are always alive in Christ. And so when he refers to those saints who have died, he always tends to use this image of saying those who have fallen asleep. And you can see it happening two times in this particular text, right? About those who have fallen asleep, that is in death, that you may not grieve for them as the rest do, who have no hope beyond the grave. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will also bring with him through Jesus those who have fallen asleep, footnote, in death, right? So it's consistent, right? But this is also kind of the bedrock of one understanding of answering that question, so what happens when we die? Some people simply believe that the scripture would say, well, you know, when you die, you just sleep. Technically, it's called soul sleep, right? We know that we're made up of body, and we know that we're made up of spirit, and we know that we're made up of soul, right? Body, soul, and spirit, all wrapped up into one. And so some would teach, well, of course, your body decays. And, uh, you know, when you die, you give up the spirit, of, uh, the spirit of breath, right? That principle of life. Uh, but your soul, they said, well, this teaching would say, well, your soul simply uh, sleeps. That's it. And the next thing you know, the trumpet sounds and, and you wake up with Christ, right? Why does it have to be that way? Well, it has to be that way because of this text right here. Paul, again, teaching. Paul says, for this we declare to you by the Lord's own word. So he's saying this with a lot of authority. That we who are alive remain until the coming uh, of the Lord shall in no way proceed into his presence or have any advantage at all over those who have previously fallen asleep in him in death. Right, so there's using the words asleep again, right? But notice the stuff I bolded for you. What is he trying to lay out for us? Well, he's trying to lay out to say, listen, nobody gets the upper hand. Nobody has the advantage, right? So those who have died in Christ or those who have fallen asleep in Christ won't get to heaven before those who are awake, those who are still alive in Christ, 
Right? He's saying, look, nobody gets to go first. Right? We all get caught up together and, and we meet uh, Christ in the clouds. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons, with the shout of an archangel, with the blast of the trumpet of God. And those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. And then he goes on. Then we, the living ones who remain on earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always, through the eternity of eternities, we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words. So did you get that? So he's just saying, look, here's the principle. Nobody gets the advantage. Nobody gets to go first, right? And so some will look at the text then and say, well, okay, so if nobody gets to go first, therefore, then those who die in Christ simply sleep. It's called soul sleep. And that those who die in Christ simply sleep until the trumpet sounds. And when the trumpet sounds... Uh, the dead in Christ rise in the grave, and those who are alive rise with them in the clouds, and we all get to experience new heaven, uh, new earth. You get it? Pretty straightforward stuff, isn't it? Right? So that's kind of one uh, understanding. And it's key uh, because of this in Jesus' teaching in John here to understand. He says, do not be surprised and wonder at this, for the time is coming when all those who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. And the important thing is, notice the location. All those who are where? In the tombs, right? And so that's part of the soul sleep. That, you know, okay, so we're in the, we die, we go into the grave, there we, we experience sleep, and then trumpet sounds, and then, you know, like Paul says here, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the sound of the trumpet call, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. Okay? And so that's kind of one viewpoint of trying to figure out in a mere dimly uh, of what happens. Okay, got that one? Okay, number two. Number two is captured up really in this phrase right here. And it's from the experience of Jesus uh, who is, you know, dying on the cross. The two criminals are with him. And, uh, you know, he's being berated by some. And uh, one of them comes to his defense. And Jesus turns to him and he makes this statement to him. Truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, what jumps out at you from that phrase? What word grabs you of all the words that are up there? I didn't hear it. Today? Cool. Okay, so today is a good word. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people will say paradise, right? A lot of people will say paradise. And so you put those together and you get kind of this next teaching, right? And, and so the other viewpoint and, and this is where it gets kind of muddy, because cultural teaching kind of influences and kind of infiltrates this teaching. And remember, culture's wrong. It's always wrong. But this teaching fundamentally says, so when we die, we go into the graves, but our soul uh, that's still alive to Christ, our soul uh, is with Christ in kind of a heavenly experience, while not full heaven yet, not new heaven, new earth, but when we die, we are kind of in paradise. We are with Christ, and we're just kind of in paradise until the trumpet sounds, and then when the trumpet sounds, uh, we rise out of the tombs, and our bodies get reunited with our souls, and we spend eternity with Christ, new heaven, new earth. But it's kind of this experience of death where we are in paradise. You with me on that? Now, the way that gets confusing is there's a whole cultural teaching out there that is really not scriptural. It's a cultural teaching that is all about a guy named Plato. Heard of the guy? 
Yeah, he was a Greek philosopher guy, and he's the guy that came up with the whole idea of pre-existent souls, right? So there's like this pre-existent soul experience, and nowhere in Scripture does that exist, right? It's not like when God created us out of the dust of the earth back in Genesis that he said, well, I'm going to reach into the pool of pre-created pre-existent souls and just kind of plop one into a lump of dirt and form it into a body, right? I mean, that just doesn't exist. When he created us, he just created us, body, soul, and spirit, right? And, and so you got to kind of dump that cultural thing, but understand there's kind of one teaching that is uh, soul sleep, and there's another teaching that says, no, listen, when we die, our soul is in paradise. And when the trumpet sounds, we come back, and he reunites, and we spend eternity with him, okay? So those are the two fundamental teachings about the experience of what happens to us when we die. Now, does anybody care what I think? Okay, I knew you would. Besides, I'm up here and you're there and you get to hear it anyway. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Here's what I think, okay? Here's the deal. It's just like us to overthink this stuff, isn't it? I mean, we just overthink this stuff. I mean, the reality is, let's start back where we started. We see in a mirror how? Dimly. We're just not going to understand this completely, right? And and we can debate back and forth about this camp, that camp, this camp, that camp. You know what? For me, my two cents, all I care about is when I die and I go in the grave, Jesus is going to be there to meet me and I'm going to be with him. It really doesn't matter anything else to me. Right? I mean, seriously, does it really matter whether I'm in soul sleep or whether I'm in paradise? or I'm, You know, if I'm with Jesus, that's paradise to me. That's good enough, right? And that's the big teaching you get from Scripture, is whether you're looking at Paul or whether you're listening to Jesus on the cross. Both of those statements where Paul talked about those who sleep, he said those who sleep where? In Christ, right? And that statement that Jesus made on the cross, we hear today and we hear paradise, but the big statement is what? Today you will be with me. That's good enough for me. How about you? That's good enough for me. That's all I need right there. Today, I'm going to be with him. That's it. That's fantastic. And that's what Paul affirms, right? He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's, he's deciding which is better, to just go on doing his ministry and suffering and going through his challenges, or whether he's just ready to pack it in and say, look, I just want to be with Christ, right? And he says, look, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My yearning desires depart to be free of this world, to be, to be to set forth and to be with Christ, for that is far, far better. But to remain in my body is more needful and essential for your sake. So he stays, right? The point is what? He just wants to be with Christ. I know about you. That's all I want. That's all I want. I just want to be with Christ. And I'll let Christ take care of everything else. And I'm just going to claim what uh, Romans 8 says. And Romans 8 says, I am persuaded beyond doubt. Right? So I know this for sure. Here's what we know for sure. I'm persuaded beyond doubt that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things impending, nor threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to do what? Can't separate us from Christ. Can't separate us from Christ. So what happens when we die? Here's what I know. What I know is the scripture is absolutely, undeniably, without doubt, making the affirmative statement that says, listen, when you die, Christ is going to be right there to meet you. And you have absolutely nothing to fear. And you will be with Christ. 
until that day the trumpet sounds and he recreates you and the whole universe and you spend eternity with him. Good enough? Good enough. Okay, next question is, well, this was the number two asked question, was, uh, well, will we be married in heaven? Or there was some question about recognizing each other as well. Okay, will we be married uh, in heaven? So I gave you Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, some guys come up to Jesus, and you know, they're always trying to trip him up with questions, right? So some guys in some cubicle somewhere came up with this great question for Jesus, right? They came up to him and they said, so, okay, so in the resurrection, what happens in this situation? You see, there was this woman and she got married, but her husband died. And so her, his brother married her, because that was the law, right? His brother married her and he died. And then his brother married her, and he died. And then his brother married her, and guess what happened? He died! And then his brother married her, and... Yeah, they, so they go through this like seven times. I think she's poisoning him, personally. I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me, you know, I've seen that movie somewhere, Cary Grant, right? I think she's poisoning him. Anyway... Uh, so then they finally get there and they say, okay, so she's got all these husbands, resurrections happen, so in heaven, whose husband will she be? Okay? And here's Jesus' response. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor God's power. Now that's an important statement to notice. See, so often when he asks this question, the question is far more about what our needs are, what our desires are, Right? And yet, the truth that Jesus is going to lay out for us is far more about what God's power is. What God is going to do in that new heaven and new earth. He says, For in the resurrected state, neither do men marry, nor are women given in marriage. But they are like the angels in heaven. Don't miss the last part of that statement. They are like what? Angels in heaven. You tell me, which do you want to be? An angel in heaven or married to that person for the eternity? I'm just saying. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, the, that's phenomenal. The idea that, I mean, it just won't matter is what he's trying to say. The powers of God. It, it just won't matter to us. Right? It just won't matter to us. I mean, the way I figure it, you know, eternity comes and, and Jill's there because I'm sure she's going to be there. She's she's going to be there and, and, you know, if we bump into each other up there, she's going to say, You made it! Wow! <laughs> you know? I mean, that's kind of the big deal. The big deal is not, you know, whether we're married or not. I mean, the big deal is we get to expend eternity with Christ. And nothing can compare to that. That's the incredible big deal. And the reality of, of marriage in this world is, is really good and really important because it's a fantastic gift to us. It, it gives us companionship. It gives us the ability to have children and procreate and do all that. I mean, that's a wonderful, incredible good gift for this world. But that doesn't apply to that world. Because companionship, I mean, we're going to have that. I mean, everybody's going to be together in perfect harmony and companionship. And we're going to walk with, with Christ, right? So, I mean, companionship won't be an issue for us anymore. And procreation's not an issue anymore either, right? I mean, it just it's just not necessary uh, in heaven. Sorry, guys. You know, figure that one out on your own, okay? But it's just not necessary. So, I mean, the reality is it just won't uh, matter to us, right? 
Uh, and if you go to uh, John, there's a question that was in there was, so we'll recognize each other, right? And kind of akin to this, uh, you know, seeing each other and being married in heaven. Um, yeah, of course, we'll recognize each other in heaven. But there was a question about, well, wait a minute, I thought not all the people recognized Jesus, and you're right. Not all the people recognized Jesus right away. There were instances when he was resurrected where, like the road to Emmaus experience, where he intentionally, in a supernatural way, hid his appearance from them until they sat down at a table and he broke bread and they recognized him like that, right? And then he just phenomenally disappeared, right? So this is resurrected Jesus. But I'll just give you one reminder that you can see how, like on Resurrection Day, Mary didn't recognize him right away. But ultimately, by the time you get to the end of the text, she is grabbing onto him, grabbing onto his feet, and she recognizes him. So everything in Scripture seems to say, when we get to heaven, we're going to recognize each other. We may not be married, but we're going to say, whoa, you made it. Awesome, good. Right? Okay? Next one. Well, what about cremation and uh, organ donation? That was an often asked question. Well, bottom line is, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us, he says, My friends, I want you to know that our bodies of flesh and blood will do what? They're going to decay, right? So whether it's in a hurry or whether it's a slow process, the reality is we're all going to become dust. Oh, boy. We're all going to become dust, okay? And, and if you think about this, if you just kind of let this work on you, I mean, think about the number of martyrs and the number of saints throughout the, the, the ages uh, who have died for Christ, and some of them have been burnt at the stake, right? I mean, their bodies became dust because they were burnt at the stake for the cause of Christ, right? And so the reality is that whether it happens fast or whether it happens slow, we're all going to become uh, dust. And, and God was able to raise us and fashion us out of the dust the first time, and so he can do it again. He's capable of that. So there's nothing in Scripture that says, oh, gosh, no, don't do that cremation thing. It just, you know, that's your choice. It's a personal thing, right? And we have confidence in God that he can raise us from the dust, whether it's because we died for him at the stake uh, and, you know, we're burned at the stake or whether uh, it's through the experience of cremation. The big thing to remember, though, is when it comes to our death, I mean, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should respect our bodies, right? We should take care of our bodies in life and respect them uh, in death. And uh, organ donation is one of those opportunities that we can do a good work and we can, you know, uh, do something with our bodies that brings glory to him. And that's the text I gave you here is uh, Paul saying, you know, honor God and bring glory to him in your body. You tell me, isn't it a glory statement when you give a part of your body to help somebody else live? I mean, I think that's a glory statement, don't you? And, and you know, we don't have any trouble, trouble thinking about when God ra raises us from the dead, he's going to make us all perfect. So if you, if you have to have your leg amputated, you know, we don't have any problem thinking about, well, that's going to be restored, right, in, in heaven, right? Well, guess what? You're missing a spleen. It's okay. He can deal with a spleen, okay? So if you need to donate to somebody, that's a glory statement. Do it. Uh, and he, he can recreate it. You with me? Okay. Oh, here's the one you're not going to like. Do pets go to heaven? Okay. Uh, we're running on time. So do pets go to heaven? Okay, kids, cover your ears. Uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to like it, but the reality is there just doesn't seem to be any evidence in Scripture that says Fluffy uh, is on the list in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? Uh, just, just doesn't seem to be there, right? I mean, I gave you the Genesis text. I mean, the interesting thing for us 
is that when we look at creation, obviously all of creation is valuable to God, but we are the most valuable. And so the whole recreation of the universe will happen, and sure, there's a possibility that animals are going to be part of that new heaven and new earth, right? But whether it's our pets or not, not so sure about that, right? And and if you kind of think about that and you kind of follow it through, uh, you know, the reality is, okay, what do we do with this? So like uh, dogs and cats make it into heaven, but what about snakes, tarantulas, spiders, mites, maggots? I mean, you know, are they on the list or not on the list, right? And so it gets kind of murky and kind of kind of muddy, and and the reality is, it's just, just kind of seems to us that uh, boy, those pets are a gift for us in this world, and we should enjoy them. And I know they become like part of the family, but the big thing for us is it won't really matter again, right? I mean, if if your spouse doesn't really matter, I'm not sure your pet's going to matter either, okay? Right? It's it's going to be good, it's going to be great, and so you don't have to worry about worry about fluffy, okay? Uh, here was a big one. Uh, what about uh, the Jewish people? Will they go to heaven? This is a tough one. This is a tough one because we have two statements in Scripture. One statement, uh, John 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he's serious about that, right? That is a truth statement, right? That the, the avenue to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet we can go back into Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy, God makes a promise over the people of Israel. And he says, listen, these are my chosen people, for you are holy and set apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a special people to himself out of all the people of the face of the earth. And so God makes a promise to the people of Israel. So we've got this tension of a promise made to the people of Israel and a truth statement made by Jesus that no one comes to him uh, through, to the Father except through him. How do, we, how do we deal with that, right? That's the question. Paul deals with that in Romans uh, 11. And here's what he says. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now, now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. What's he saying? Both of those statements are absolutely true. And because they're both true, we've had the opportunity as the Gentiles to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And now is the time for us to share that truth with our Jewish brethren. So that when Jesus Christ comes back, when Jesus returns with that trumpet sound, our Jewish brethren will get it this time. That they will see Jesus in the clouds and they will say, Messiah. And that's the scriptural hope. That's the hope. Paul has an, a hope that says that, that when Jesus comes back, the Jews won't miss it the second time that the Jewish folks will see and understand Jesus really is Messiah. And so that's the hope. And the best we can do in the meantime is really bear the burden of saying, look, this is the time of the opportunity of mercy to the people of Israel. And so his promise is on them, but it doesn't release us from saying, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Okay. Well, there's more to go. I'm out of time already. 
but it says, uh, what about near-death experiences? Here's the bottom line on near-death experiences. I don't know. Right? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Here's what I do know. Okay? Here's what I do know. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree has good fruit, it's going to be good, right? Bad fruit, it's going to be bad. You got to be really careful about these near-death stories, okay? Because you got to judge them by their fruit, right? We know God uses dreams and visions, but we also know the evil one does too. So be really careful. And the key to it is, you know, like there's this book out there right now. It's going to bring it down. I forgot it. There's this book with the little boy on the cover, right? I mean, a cute little book kind of thing. Cool book, I guess. I haven't read it yet, but people say they love it. Cool book. Here's my caution. Don't let that book replace the truth of the book. You hear what I'm saying? Don't let that book with the little boy in the cover replace the truth of what the Scripture has to say. Right? That's where the truth lies for us. Right? Uh, well, I can't do any more, but uh, the deal is, uh, as we come to the end of the series, and we, and we come to uh, really talking about, about truth, uh, ultimately, uh, so you're dead, now what, was a question. Right? And, and here's the ultimate question. As we've gone through this whole series, the real question is, are you ready? You know, we, we believe that the time is going to come when we breathe our last, and we believe the time is going to come when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back. And we all have to look in that mirror and we all have to make that, that observation in our lives and say, listen, are we ready? Because we believe that truth. And we believe that those who are in Christ, if you're in Christ, uh, you just need to be ready and you welcome that and you know eternity is yours.